daddy so much. The judge and the jury all found him innocent, but some people didn't believe him. The house chose me. He must be guilty of something. People have always stated... All right, so do we continue with the Polaroid conversation? Because I feel like that was kind of important. Or should we open I don't feel like we finished the Polaroid conversation. I really don't think we did. Uh, Okay, so let's finish that. Then we'll start the show. Can we do that? Yeah, let's do that. Okay, so my daughter asked for a Polaroid, like those instant Polaroids. So it's like the miniature, like fourth scale Polaroid Mm -hmm. things for her birthday. And I guess that's like a thing for weddings and stuff too. Because it was hard to find a good one. Michael's. That's, uh, That's where we always got them. Oh, really? Do you have a Polaroid in your house right now? Um, maybe. Like the uh, developed picture or a Polaroid camera? The camera. I might still have one. I don't know. I, I mean, I assume you have like a shoebox full of polar, like dirty picture Polaroids. I've got more than a shoebox. <laughs> you got one of those big ass fucking like 20 gallon totes. I mean, no, I don't. That's weird. Why would you say that? <laughs> Fuck. Anyways, welcome to Satanists on Cinema. We're your hosts, Satanist Cameron John and Reverend Campbell. Satanist on Cinema is a film review and commentary series that is delivered without blinking. It's kind of creepy. We reserve our bed and breakfast online, curl up under the covers with our laptop resting on our chests, and we slowly descend into madness, traveling both space and time to reveal the ins and outs of a film. Welcome to the review of You Should Have Left. I should have had a bib on because I just... Spilled my drink all over my leg. Damn it. I was trying to emote or just. You should not have spilled. God damn it. Uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us. <laughs> I, you never know with these because if it's a new film, you don't know if people want to be spoiled. And so I'm always like, well, there's no one that's ever going to tune in because they want to see it first. And then, like old films, you're like, there's got to be a huge fan base for this. So clearly, we're going to have a tons of people tuning in. And no. So I just never know what's going to happen. <laughs> hey, surprises are nice. Surprises are nice. I'm pleasantly surprised by who we have in the chat room. So, Scott, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. Treesma official. I'm officially happy you're here. Uh, Kate, how you doing, hon? Vashuri, what up, man? Malcolm, how you doing? And uh, anyone else who jumps in uh, after the fact, I do have to say, we're going to have a great show. We have a lot to talk about. And this is a very divisive film. Divisive? Mm. Divisive? Words are hard. I'm even divisive about how to say divisive. <laughs> That's how serious this is going to get. All right, so uh, the log line of You Should Have Left is a former banker, his actress wife, and their spirited daughter book a vacation at an isolated modern home in Welsh countryside where nothing is quite as it seems. And I genuinely don't think that actually tells the story of this at all. Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> that is bullshit. <laughs> but then again, how do you explain something like this without just completely ruining it? It is true. Because this was a film where you start going down the road and, I don't know, maybe it's like the half hour mark or something like that. You're like, I kind of know where this is going. Mm-hmm. It's not yeah. particularly shocking or, you know, I mean... And here's the other side of this, is that there's so many people that dislike it. Is it because of the execution or because they just didn't get it? See, I I was on the side of they don't get it, but, I, you know, it might be the execution because it is a – it's a tried and true method of telling yeah. the story. I mean, what, 30, 45 minutes in, it's like, oh, this is Secret Window. Okay. <laughs> Gotcha. I, it didn't turn me off at all from the movie, yeah. but I was like, oh, okay, now I know what I'm getting. Right. Um, okay, so for those of you who may not know, we're going to go through the process of reviewing this film. We're going to talk about the story beats. We're going to spoil the shit out of this. So if you don't want to be spoiled, get the fuck out. <laughs> and if you do, come on in for a hug because we're going to be doing it all crazy like. So this is a 2020 <laughs> American psychological horror film written and directed by David Cope. Coep? Coep? Yeah, I don't know. That sounds about right. Coep. It is two P's, so I think you'd. (laughs) As how friends refer to him. Yeah. (laughs) It's based on the 2017 book of the same name by Daniel uh, Kalman. 
this is, it was a, a novella. So it was a very mm-hmm. short diary form uh, story that what I thought was so interesting is that um, David Coep, uh, Cope, Kep, Cope, I'm going to say Cope. Coep PP. Coapipi. I, I think we keep going with it. Okay. It just sounds David right. David Coapipi and, and Kevin Bacon worked together and produced and executed uh, uh, Stir of Echoes. I don't know why I was going to say Shadows. Uh, Stir of Echoes, which is a brilliant film that I love to death. It is so incredibly good. It is such a great haunted film. Mm-hmm. Like the intro to this series, like as the, the, the logo is appearing, there's this. That's from the beginning of Stir of Echoes. Like, I literally stole it <laughs> so that I could use it because I loved it so much and I thought it was so appropriate. So I just, I love this film. And so these two people getting together again, and the backstory of this is that they wanted to work on another sort of thriller film together. They started mm-hmm. collaborating um, and sort of working on ideas. Then this novella came out. Um, uh, uh, Kevin Bacon picked up the novel after he heard about how good it was, read it, and then brought it to David Koepipi and said, hey, I think this is where we should go. So they were already brainstorming on these sort of um, low-budget house, haunted house, uh, sort of domestic storylines. Then they picked up the novella, and then they adapted it. And so I think maybe that's why people are having such a hard time because it's not a straight adaptation because you can't really, I mean, it's hard to adapt a novel because there's too much Mm -hmm. and novella, there's too little. And so you can't leave too much to imagination. So David was saying in many interviews that I read or I watched um, that they had to sort of fill in blanks in order to make it palatable for a film audience. Mm -hmm. Now this was filmed in 2018 like it was already, they, they had to do like four days of reshoots in early 2019, but it was wrapped last year and they were ready to release it. But Damn. they were planning on releasing it in films this year, which is why you know, ne- and it was a low budget horror film. And so, which is why you never heard anything of it. And then suddenly they just drop it on VOD, you know, this past Friday for everyone. And it was a huge surprise. No one even fucking heard of this yeah. before a week and a half ago. And so it, it was very exciting to see these two collaborators get together because, again, their reputation precedes them, not just in Stir of Echoes, but in every other thing that they've done. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this must have been just a ballpark, you know, home run, right? But then you look <laughs> at reviews. So IMDb gave it a 5.3 out of 10, which is not good. No. Rotten Tomatoes. It's 46% rotten with only a 28% audience score so the critics don't get it hated it the audience hated it worse than the critics and for this genre that is not common at all that is weird and so i went into this show i was texting cameron for days like i'm afraid i don't know if <laughs> yeah. we should do this every day uh, i don't know i don't know it sounds bad i'm like that just makes me want to watch it even more <laughs> and so we did Mm-hmm. <laughs> Co that's right. <laughs> I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that you know people were asked chat about having to spend twenty dollars to watch it. That was a steep, and it's country. like, really, if you think about it, it's not that fucking much. Like the entire experience, like for the wife and I, for mm-hmm. instance, to go to a movie, right. we're looking at least forty dollars because we got the tickets, we got the popcorn, got the soda, got the candy, whatever else we fucking snuck in, yeah. like. You know, it's it's expensive, but at least I get to sit on my couch and get drunk and watch this with my own popcorn. So yeah. it's not that bad. And for me, you just times that by two because I got two extra kids and I got to bring them with me. And so, I mean, $20 in the scheme of things is not a lot. But we've had early release films this year at the $7 price mm-hmm. point. And so to have it be like a $20 price point was pretty steep. Another reason to be a little bit concerned, but we did it anyway because we're just that devoted. <laughs> I I really wanted to see it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, after after I looked at the pedigree of these um, collaborators, you have to. I mean, mm-hmm. the the cast is as follows: Kevin Bacon plays uh, Theo and Stetler. Amanda Seyfried plays uh, spoiler. God, yeah, well, that's the show. <laughs> Amanda Seyfried plays Susanna, and this amazing child actor who I fell in love with immediately. 
that just that first fucking look on her face, it's like she is the best actor in this fucking. Yes, film. she was so amazing, like so incredibly amazing. I could not believe it. Avery, uh, T U Essex plays Ella in this, their daughter. Um, she was so good in every single mm -hmm. scene, whether it's like bubbly, childy, or whether it's um, challenging the parents, or whether mm -hmm. it's fearful for her life whatever this is a fucking child and she is like a bona fide good actor yeah yeah no, her her chops are amazing definitely yeah. god damn it was amazing uh okay so uh the film's score was uh put together by gf zanelli i didn't notice it to be honest while yeah watching it. it was definitely just background noise yeah which is weird because in horror film that's usually your cue you know mm -hmm. like if it's well, not scary enough on screen you sort of double down with the music well and it's nice it's it's a it's a breath of fresh air because i mean as much as i love the whole synth pop score that's become the thing for every movie now mm -hmm. it's it is nice to have one that is just very subdued just barely there it does give you the ambiance that you need but without tapping on the shoulder saying hey i'm here yeah so it was, it was kind of nice yeah uh it did force the the actors to really dominate on screen mm -hmm. at least in my memory i've seen it twice now mm -hmm. i mean for 20 bucks you get to rent it for a month like normally it's like a seven dollar rental on IT, uh, apple itunes or whatever it is um and you can watch mm. it for like two days but this apparently don't get it on amazon because you still get 48 hours oh really yeah Whoa. yeah yeah that's rough <clears throat> i'm gonna sit with this for a while this film because i you know i I just love the people in it so much. And the more I dig into the story beats, like the actual conceptual storyline, the more I like it. Mm -hmm. um, but on the surface, I, I have a little bit of issue, uh, which we'll get into here in a second. This was only a $5 million film. This is a low budget film. And so... That's there... funny because that's not even really that low budget. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, one of my uh, favorite films of, what was it, 2018? Uh, was... 300,000 oh, and wow. that's like low budget nowadays what, what was that uh victor crowley oh wow 300,000 yeah. that's crazy yeah that's really good um but again it's a bloom house production and so they're mm -hmm. more than willing to throw some dollars at it that house that's set in wales that we're going to be talking about in a second that was actually in jersey <laughs> this is all filmed in new well, jersey i fucking believe it whatever <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing i totally bought it in too um bought into it just a couple like strange notes here uh it was 26 days of shooting and then four days of reshoots the house had eight hallway i hear a fire alarm okay i, I didn't know if i was just going insane or not i smell something burning yeah you're probably fine <laughs> I, i'm genuinely concerned if i should go check <laughs> Um, okay, well, we'll just hope, I guess. <laughs> we'll just wait till we see smoke coming out. <laughs> yeah, then I'll react. Um, eight hallways comprise this house, which is amazing in and of itself. Mine has one. Uh, and then yeah. 30 different doors in the house, which is a lot of fucking doors. Yeah. And to think about the sequences, especially later in the film, where they had to remember which door, what the door looked like, what mm. it ended up leading into because it's not always consistent. And, nope. you know, I mean, it was it was crazy the way they put it together. And they said this was a bit of a, a production headache because of that. Um, I can only imagine. <laughs> but that all sort of uh, runs into, you know, just labeling everything and doing a lot of pre-production work. So mm. that, that you know what's happening and where you're going to be doing uh, your, your shooting. Um, Kevin and David were looking for another collaboration since Stir of Echoes, and they began brainstorming with the novella uh, was released in Kevin Reddit. Uh, the novella, I've said this before, I want to make sure it's clear here. Uh, the novella is a diary of a screenwriter, not a banker, like the film. The di uh, diary of a screenwriter attempting to write a sequel, Besties 2, to follow his earlier success with Besties. He's on a deadline for the production studio and includes events from his daily life in his screenplay. And so it's sort of just him mentally taking notes uh, on what happened during the day and the novel really doubles down on the idea and the strength of the novel is in um, the uh, unreliable first-person narrative, right? So you cannot trust the person narrating this. And so the film takes that cue with your main actor, the, the, 
the real the the focal point of this entire mm-hmm. film is Theo, uh, Kevin Bacon's character, and how he is an unreliable actor. And so, if you know that after having watched the few sequences, I mean, the opening sequence tells you already that this is not a straightforward show, right? Because it mm-hmm. opens with two dream sequences inside of each other. Yeah, a Russian nesting doll of dream sequences pretty much does that bug you when you see those no well not when it's uh i I think in the context of this film like it makes sense uh because you don't quite know initially what's going on whether what's happening is happening or he's going insane so the fact that he's having a dream within a dream of a dream of his daughter yeah just i bought it and it is like important. After watching everything. Yeah, I mean, you, you really do have to see this as this is Theo's experience, mm-hmm. no one else's, because everything is going to be filtered through his lens. And the the more time we spend on screen with this, the focal point character, Theo, the more you realize he's not reliable. And so you mm-hmm. have it's like watching Birds of Prey all over again. <laughs> it's just not. Yeah. It's not how things happened, but it's how he interpreted it. So that's how we're going to experience it, and that. Mm-hmm adds to the convoluted feeling and tone that I think a lot of the film reviewers took out of what they witnessed rather than trying to disassemble it and mm-hmm. understand it completely. At least that's my, my take on it. Anyway, right. the Brooklyn Rail called the novel a masterful experiment about the limits of literary realism, and they credited Ooh. the author with the use of unreliable first-person narrative um, uh, Theo said he paid a steep price. Okay, hold on. So, so let's get into uh, the <laughs> the Therese Mayo Faisal. He was so. in the. I'm sorry. I, out of context for you, but for the chat room, oh, okay. they were saying that they were happy I pronounced their name properly because ah. I didn't. The directors, and so I was just um, fucking up for him. Ah, gotcha. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, so I was like, I'm not seeing this note anywhere. Yeah, yeah this is crazy. <laughs> so, first of all, Amanda Siegfried is Sig Seyfried. I don't know why I mm-hmm. say Sig. She's great, not just in this film, but just as an actress in general. She's amazing. We already talked about the yeah. daughter, uh, Avery, and Kevin Bacon. I mean, he, his reputation precedes him. Yeah. Um, so we have high expectations, but let's talk about the story and let's sort of dive into that. So, do you want to run that down? Yeah. So, um, as Adam said, starts off with a nightmare. And really, that's that kind of sets up the character of Theo from the get go. Like, he's a real high strung guy. Um, for good reason. For a very fucking good reason. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I I don't think I would be that high strung. <laughs> you guys will get it in a second. Um, so. That, that's how the movie opens and then immediately goes to just this weird random narration. I was like, what the fuck? Where is this coming from? And it turns out he's listening to meditation tapes because he's a high-strung motherfucker. Um, all that leads into his wife being too busy for him. She's an actor. He's a retired banker. And they decide, well, he decides they need a break. So they decide to go to Wales to have a vacation before her next shoot in London. Um, and really that's, that's, you get a little bit of family tension here and there. Like, you know, there's something going on between the two of them, but you don't know, mm-hmm. but you know what's going on. Yeah. And you find uh, out later. I mean, for sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, great way of finding out too. <laughs> I, I was laughing my ass off. So bad. Um, what I thought they underplayed, which is a hugely important point, and they, they only did like one-liners in order to pay it off, but um, Theo comes, he, this is his second marriage. His first marriage ended in this horrible tragedy of his wife drowning to death in a bathtub, right? And there was all this suggestion that he murdered his wife. And so there's this huge public trial and so he is like literally like recognized wherever he goes because of this huge public trial because he was a very successful banker and it talks about it specifically later on him saying things just came really easy for me and I made you know tons of success when he's sort of talking to his daughter later in the film um, everything was easy for me except for you meaning you know family fatherhood stuff like that but 
financially, he was well known in the world. Then his wife dies. So it's this huge, massive public trial. He is actually um, found innocent in the trial, but still people, you know, O.J. Simpson is <laughs> to think that he did it. And so there's this really meaningful moment later in the film when the daughter asks the mom, why do people hate dad? And she's like, what do you mean? She's like, people say it. People, they, you know, people hate dad. Why? And so there's this moment of her, the mother trying to, the second mom, um, well, the child's only mom. Let's say the only the mom. Wife, um, <laughs> explain to her daughter what was supposed to be held exclusively for the father to address. Mm -hmm. he, yeah, because it's point. something they discussed doing it yeah. when she was seven. But that, that pivotal experience of did he or didn't he murder his own wife that is integral to the entire film. Mm -hmm. It plays through to why he's listening to the motivational tapes in the first place, why he's t keeping a personal diary, why he is the way he is, because he was in this horrible relationship that he should have left. He chose not to, and it ended in the death of this, this wife of his and him being blamed for it. And then mm -hmm. him carrying around that guilt, never wanting to admit the truth of what actually happened in that moment, uh, which sets up the entirety of them going to this particular house and everything that follows later. And so, like, I just wish they would have spent a little bit more time on that buildup because it was so important for the development of his character so that we as an audience can buy into it. And I will not agree with you 100% on that. Wow, okay. I think, well, it, that was... That was sort of almost the MacGuffin that was, like, pushing us along. Like, we need to know what's going on with him. Like, why the fuck is he the way he is? You know, why is he so high-strung? Why do people hate him? Because nothing's announced. And when this moment happens um, with uh, Ella and Susanna, I mean, mm -hmm. that's fucking, what, 30, 40 minutes into the movie? Yeah. Like, we're already, you know, past the first act, and we're mm -hmm. just now finding out what's going on. And then it progressively, like, it, it, it snowballs from there. Yeah. Like, we get more and more details. And I just think it was a perfect driving point of his character because that's ultimately what this is. It's, uh, the story is of his character development. Mm -hmm. So. Absolutely. I, I accepted it completely. Yeah. Um, so as soon as they get to the house, they immediately notice that things are just not quite right they're initially overtaken by the beauty of it it's a modern designed house um in a welsh countryside new jersey welsh countryside uh same thing and yeah <laughs> but there's like no pictures on the walls and it's just sort of very stark and empty for like mm -hmm. a home um the first evening comes around and the daughter is doing shadow puppets on the wall and you see the shadow looming uh, at the end of her shadow puppetry and it's this playful connection that during the day everything seems to be okay at night things start to get a little bit weird um, and and we get our first invitation to a lurking presence but also that there is something wrong with space-time here because the father, um, Theo, goes down to turn off lights for bed, and he uh, has this really wonderful, quippy back and forth with his wife, um, who we, we really do need to explore here in just a second. Mm -hmm. But this really great back and forth of him saying, look, I download all of season three. She's like, ooh, can I watch the recaps? He's like, I would never deny you the recaps. It was just this really romantic <laughs> moment exchange yeah. between couples that we, this is normal nowadays yeah you know it's just it's something that we do and it was really nice seeing that on film because up until now i really don't think i've ever witnessed that before no at least not, not me. me either and that that's like a typical night like yeah. hey baby you want to watch chopped yeah <laughs> and then you sit there and you watch chopped and go to sleep yeah so uh she goes uh waiting for him sits in the bed just you know with her laptop just waiting he goes downstairs to go turn off all the lights and he realizes that every time he turns the light off there's another light that's on and then he sees his first polaroid sort of pinned into the um clothes washroom laundry room i guess is their actual word <laughs> for that uh on the wall and he doesn't really pay any attention to it but then he realizes that this door that's on the other side of the uh, laundry room leads down to this huge staircase and he's like, holy shit, how big is this fucking house? So by mm. the time he gets back up after, you know, he's turned off all the lights that he can possibly turn off, which then mysteriously turn on as he leaves the room again, he gets back up to the room. It's been like four hours. 
His wife is asleep. He doesn't realize that because for mm. him, it's only been, you know, a couple minutes. But for her, oh, she had yeah. been waiting for fucking hours. And so she went to sleep naturally. Um, and so that's us as uh, outsiders witnessing there's something not quite right. Not about the characters, which we already knew there was something a little off about them, mm -hmm. but now about the setting that they're in. And that sets everything up for a very interesting sort of spiral, as it were. But let's talk about their relationship, because this is his second wife. She's a very successful actress. His, he comes on set, and they're having a sex scene that he's not allowed to come on set and witness. Yeah. <laughs> so it sets up his being uncomfortable with this much younger actress, wife, with the job that she's having and the fact that they don't ever get any personal time, which is the whole reason why they went to this retreat in the first place, this, this sort of bed and breakfast. He claims that she sent him the link. She claims that he sent him the link. They don't really explore it past that, but that does make you think, where did this link come from? Mm -hmm. Who, who's the one set it up? And then, um, so she's always constantly with her phone. And this is something that I have arguments about with my wife too, but hopefully it doesn't end the same way. But she's I hope not. <laughs> yeah, always on her phone. Um, and that's just like a thing nowadays, I guess. But it kind of bugs him. He's an older generation. That's not how he wants the relationship to be. He wants to be more connected. And so he's writing these notes in his diary um, as he's listening to these meditative tapes. And the lines that the meditation tape are giving are outright clues to what we're actually witnessing and mm -hmm. if you like i didn't pick up on the first watch i only picked it up on the second watch yeah, but you here. you have to listen to what these things are saying to really immediately clue into what this film is mm -hmm. about because not only is he writing everything that you need to know he's also listening to everything you need to know and so every interaction that he has in the sort of real world with his wife and his daughter is paid off by all of these other external cues that we're you know sort of getting it's very subtle and again i think another reason why people did not pick up on this film because they didn't pay attention mm -hmm. <clears throat> if you do i think you'll get it that being said um uh, quickly he starts to distrust his wife um and so she's taking a bath and he is doing the worst most obvious job of checking her phone and <laughs> yeah, checking no her shit. laptop and checking her ipad and making sure there's nothing there well, um, see, here's what he should have done. Yeah. Like, it would have, he would have just completely, you know, thrown her off. She wouldn't have even thought otherwise. You go in there and you stare at her because that's what you do when your wife is naked. It's true. You look at him naked awkwardly until they realize that you're looking and then you walk away like nothing happened. And then he would have had free reign to go through everything. She wouldn't have even thought about it. Yeah. She'd be like, oh, he's doing weird things now. <laughs> I get it. He's touching himself. Instead of asking for a fucking shampoo, what the fuck? <laughs> Are you washing your hair? Not for any reason, but just, it'll take you a lot longer, so you'll <laughs> be in there longer so I can finish doing what I'm doing. But, you know, never mind. Never. <laughs> it's so bad. It was. That, that so was pretty terrible. awful. <laughs> um, so, uh, that sets up the immediate distrust and the fact mm -hmm. that this relationship is not as golden as it was presented in the first act. So the second act is the unraveling of that golden relationship that we suspected they had. But then you're also getting this vision of this entity in the house that's cropping up. Um, uh, not only do we get it with focusing on shadows against walls, but we get it through these dream sequences that Theo is having from the very beginning of the film, one. And then later, uh, as he's actually in the house that first night, he starts having these bad dreams um, and he wakes up and his wife is saying, oh, I had a bad dream too. And he's like, oh my gosh, I, he, he had such a bad dream. He had to like kill himself in order to wake up. Yeah. Yeah. That was that pretty bad intense. Dream. <laughs> it was insane. Like I've never been in that place. That was crazy. No, I, I, I love the, I love the dry wit when he was talking about that too. Mm -hmm. She's all talking about, oh, I had such a bad dream. I was on, on stage and I forgot what play I was in. Oh, well, I think mine was worse. <laughs> Like maybe just a yeah. little bit. <laughs> and then like later it's sort of a throwaway line by the daughter, but she's like, This place makes me moody. I have bad dreams. Mm -hmm. And so you're getting a very Amityville horror vibe from this house where it actually changes who you are um because of what it represents. And so um uh, Theo goes into town because he needs supplies. Obviously, they're gonna live here for a couple days, they need food, and he goes to this shopkeeper's 
place and it's just like the most awkward shopkeeper ever um and the name of the uh the name is in welsh on the 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 sign outside of the building but it's actually translated to bread from heaven and Hmm. what we're getting is this constant idea that uh theo made some sort of agreement that everything comes easy for me success um money uh, professional success and money, um, uh, relationships, everything seems to come easy for him except for interpersonal relationships. Uh, and so it's almost like he already made a deal with the devil. And then you all of a sudden get this clue from the bread of heaven. And they're like, have you met Stetler yet? And he's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Who's Stetler? Stetler's the guy who owns the house. Have you met him? And so everyone is telling him Stetler owns the house and they're asking, have you met him yet? Mm-hmm. He has in his dreams and he hasn't figured it out yet at this point but we'll wait to do the reveal but this all is paid forward by the fact that he's had incredible success professionally terrible Mm -hmm. success personally he's hiding from shame about admitting to what actually happened uh, in his first marriage with the death of his first wife and which is why he's doing the motivational uh, tapes, why he's taking this diary to try to work through this shame and guilt, which is causing his current relationship to poison so much that his now wife is looking outside for love and affection. Mm-hmm. And everything he's doing is ruining because of this initial deal that he made that he's now being drawn to this house to pay the debt for. And he doesn't quite understand it. So he goes back to the house with all of his goods then he finds out that his wife is cheating on him because mm-hmm. she that has a, was, an extra phone. That was rough. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's the part where you really start to think this guy is either really bad with relationships or there's something rotten in Denmark. <laughs> like There's something greater going on here that we don't fully understand. There's a price that you have to pay when you make a deal with the devil and he is paying that price. Now, the, the film explores that through the idea of guilt, and he's forcing that price to be paid. But mm-hmm. again, this is all subtext. They have never announced any of this. So you have to watch the film in order to fully, like all the way through at least once, in order to get this stuff. Oh, yeah. um, and so uh, he confronts his wife and says, look, you broke all the rules. You need to get out. You're not taking our daughter. You're going to leave at least for the night by morning, We'll deal with this as adults, but I'm a little bit too out of my mind and angry to deal with this uh, in a positive way. Uh, So you need to leave. And so she leaves. What they don't realize is that isolates them in this Welsh house and countryside, him and Mm -hmm. his daughter. Um, The shopkeeper gave him, uh, what what are those called? Uh, A rule? It's not a rule. Um, It's a a geometry measurement tool but i can't remember what it's called it's just a right angle with this yeah i don't remember i was anyway, talking about it earlier and I yeah forgot. he gave it to him and he's like hey uh take this and uh use it at the house you know mm-hmm. um check and see if the there's right angles and he's like what are you talking about this doesn't make any sense and so he gets to the house and weird things start to happen he loses his daughter a number of times they end up measuring the inside of the house and the outside of the house the inside of the house is five feet bigger than the outside of the house which doesn't make any sense and his daughter's great in that exploration yeah um and then he's like putting the rule the right angle ruler against the wall and it doesn't match up and he's like talking to his daughter does this wall look right to you and she's like it looks like a wall yeah (laughs) it's a kid what do you expect her to say but she's just on I mean, the she money wasn't wrong. every time. It's so great. <laughs> oh, she's so wonderful. So the house is strange. He's losing time in the house. He's um, uh, losing his daughter in the house where he has to like hunt her down and she's calling out for him. And then he finds her and it gets to the point where they just cannot stay in the house anymore. They're like, we've got to leave. And it's, mm-hmm. it's like cold ass Welsh winter. And so they're putting on all their winter clothes and they're like, fuck it, we're leaving. The daughter turns around and looks back and sees a specter in the open window uh, the front room the dad so turns cool. and sees it and he's like we are out of here fuck this shit <laughs> and so they're going through 
the Welsh countryside. Um, it's like these hedgerows uh, that they're mm. walking through, and they start hearing all these sounds and stuff, and they're getting terrified. And she's freezing. She's like, "Daddy, I'm cold." And he's like, "I'm, you know, holding her and trying to trying to comfort her." But he knows this is a survival issue. If they stay in that house, they're going to fucking die. He has to leave. He's losing his daughter. He's already seen. I think at this point, he saw his dead wife in the bathtub, right? In the dream sequence, which is why he like, cut himself to wake up. Yes. Like. Not not the attack part, yeah. but like he he saw her in there with her, you know the eyes open like in the trailer, mm -hmm. and so he was like, oh my gosh, uh! Uh, yeah. and so he's he's pretty much like losing it, um, and he knows they cannot stay in this house or he's going to lose his fucking daughter or maybe mm -hmm. both of them, um, and the one thread throughout all of this is that he will do anything for her and she will do anything for him. This is like mm -hmm. a true father daughter relationship that is Man. like the best case scenario and it's so beautiful as a dad i absolutely adored it Dude, um, just that scene at the dinner table like after the fight yeah like when she just you know taps his hand that shit oh my god and she's just like, oh god damn kids. it so oh, fucking beautiful it's like that, that's oh my god <laughs> i genuinely was tearing up mm -hmm. watching her because the the moment that um when he walks in and the mom already told the daughter about the death of his previous wife and she's like did he do it and she's like no he, he got off uh you know the the jury found him not guilty and she's like but did he do it and this sort of cut scene and then it shows him walking to the house with the daughter talking to the mother and she turns around and she says i'm sorry daddy that, that happened to you i just melted yeah <laughs> i was like oh, this is so fucking beautiful this little girl loves her daddy so much and it's like that's real that's that's how it actually is and it's <laughs> that's why being a parent sometimes is just fucking magical it was i just bought it and mm -hmm. at, for an actress to do that at that age it was just amazing to me and then yeah, her no, reaching her hand cool. out and touching him at the dinner table like you were saying oh yeah so that that beautiful. one that one got me that got so me pretty beautiful. hard um, and then at the, like the very end when he's like finally finds her again and she's like, I love you no matter what. Don't you know that? I was just like, fuck. Oh my gosh. What are you yeah, doing to me? That was after the reveal of who. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. But they, I mean, I was just saying that at the end, that, that was another moment that they had that was just oh, yeah. broke me. <laughs> Completely destroyed me. Fucking beautiful. Susanna's amazing. Um, but there's this throwaway line also between the, the mother and the father, where she says, you know, your Catholic guilt is getting to you, um, <laughs> the Catholic trauma. So he, yeah. the father, who doesn't believe in heaven, um, was raised Catholic, mm. made some sort of deal, decided he didn't believe in the religious whatever because of all the hangups that comes with it, had this horrible experience with his wife, his first wife, and now is carrying all of this pent-up ag religious aggression and terror has this talk with his daughter about, uh, you know, because he's trying to placate her, saying, look, you know, when we die, we go to heaven, and, you know, we'll all be together. Mm -hmm. She's like, does everyone go to heaven? Um, and so there's this constant tie between his ease of professional success, his obsession with religion, his hatred, and, and sort of not hatred, but dismissal of religion, but then the connection, the bread of heaven, with the safe Welsh town, with this malevolent force that dwells within this home this stetler that he's being told owns the mm -hmm. home how they even came to the home it is all building to this sort of final conclusion that when the mom leaves when they he is trying to escape the home with his daughter he ends up right back at the home just like in the house if you open one door it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to go to where you expect it to go yep. and so there's this weird space-time horror dimensional portal Thing going on with this house um, and then he is sort of losing his mind and he's trying to call his wife to come pick them up the next morning and he can't get through to his wife and the daughter's like why don't you call her second phone and he's like I don't have the number yeah that, that <laughs> and, was, and her just, oh <laughs> was just like, that's like how, how the <laughs> fuck do you even uh, explain that or do you explain that yeah oh my like gosh a, it was terrible <laughs> so rough so he calls the fucking grocer and he's like look i need to get out of here you need to get me a taxi we need to leave and the grocer's like look that house has always been there it's a house 
built on a house, built on a house, built on a house. It was a house before the house that you are living in now, and it was a house before that house, and it was a tower before that. <laughs> Satan built the tower to steal souls. God destroyed the tower, and Satan rebuilt the house. And so we're getting this firsthand clue that, okay, wait a second. This is not just the dad losing his mind, or is it? But this is... This is like a purgatory realm now, mm. this home. It is where guilty, horrible humans who have committed horrible acts are drawn to, and they are judged by the devil himself, and, they, and he claims their soul. And it starts to get this idea that he will, no matter what, live here. This mm. is, he will never leave here. But if he wants his wife and daughter to leave here, he has to let them go. He cannot. Because otherwise, if he tries to keep that loving connection that he has naturally as another human for his offspring and for his wife, he's going to drag them to hell with him mm -hmm. uh, and commit them to hell. And so there's this really wonderful scene where uh, his daughter is taken by the house again and he confronts Stetler and he just sort of unloads on Stetler. <laughs> Beats the fuck out yeah, of him. Yeah, do you want to talk about this part? Yeah, this is great. So this is... Uh... So, I mean, all this shit's creepy, but I got to say probably the scariest part of this whole setup was when they were, you know, outside measuring and stuff. Mm -hmm. And she says, okay, well, daddy, I need to get my Coke because yeah. I'm cold. And he's just watching her from the outside. And, you know, she goes in. She gets her coat. Here's the hallway. Here's the door. Here's the exit. And watches her go through the door. And then nothing. And then he goes in and she's gone like that shit. God, that was so good. Anyways, sorry. It's probably one of my favorite scenes. Um, yeah, he starts beating the living shit out of him. Like, you know, you are not going to take my daughter. We are going to get out of here. And as he's sitting there pummeling this dude with his crutch, he realizes that Stetler is actually him. Yeah. And that's when Stetler's like, you know, that's the worst part about looking into a mirror is you see yourself. And then that's when it's revealed that it's the devil and all that yeah. shit that and he committed himself to this. What I love then in that moment is that he's telling the devil, like, Stetler, please, just not my kid. Mm -hmm. Take me, just not my kid. And he's like, I'm not the one holding her here. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, yeah. you're the fucking problem, man. This is where you really have to come to terms with who you actually are and what you're actually doing as a man. And that's where this whole unreliable narrative comes full circle because everything up until now is now under question. The house isn't keeping his daughter here. It's just keeping him here. His attachment to his daughter and his desire to maintain control over her is what's keeping her here. His hatred of being in the relationship with his first wife is what led him to watch her die in the tub, which mm -hmm. led to all of the guilt, his hangups. His obsession with his much younger and more beautiful wife is what drove her into another man's arms. And that toxic relationship that they're currently in right now is what is keeping him in this state of torment and pain. Everything that we've witnessed is his fault and under mm -hmm. his absolute control. And all he has to do is just let go. Mm -hmm. and so at the final scenes he takes his daughter outside the mother is outside he puts his daughter in the car and he tells her you need to leave I cannot leave here if I go with you I will bring you all back right here because I have to stay here I killed my wife not directly but I killed her by not stopping her from drowning I am guilty I deserve this end it is this moment of self acceptance that you don't normally get in horror films it's just no. like, oh, you're bad, and so we're going to kill you. But in this particular case, it's him coming to a sense of redemption with himself, but still having to pay the piper. And I thought that was really beautiful. And, and, and that was, I think, what struck so many people so wrongly, uh, you know, this sense of discord with the film, because it's not normally how these things end. Yeah, definitely. So what do you think? Do you think that he ultimately, because this is an unreliable narrative, did he set up this whole situation because he was clearly taking pills after that first dream sequence, mm -hmm. he went up and he started popping pills in order to stop the dreams because he was dealing with so much pent up guilt and stuff. Um, is all of this bullshit, the whole devil aspect of it and him, he is just doing this or is there actually 
this honest purgatory house, as it were, where the devil collects souls from. See, that's what I'm honestly still on the fence over. I, I really don't know. Um, so I've, I've watched it almost twice. I, I was trying to finish it before this, but I didn't get to finish it. And I still, I'm I'm checking that. Like, I I have no idea. Like, I want to believe that, yes, he, that this is his hell. You know, he created it. Now he has to live with it and watch everybody else leave. But, yeah, at the same time, you get the fact that he's fucking insane. And we're watching him in a downward spiral of insanity through this entire film. Yeah. So I honestly don't know. Like the the final sequence where it shows just the camera going down the hallway with the Polaroids lining the walls and then the house photo at the very end of the hallway and the voiceover of the shopkeeper um, explaining that some people are drawn to this house. Sometimes the house draws people to it. Mm -hmm. Some people leave and some don't. Um, that leads me to believe that this is an actual, you know, devil created realm, whatever, um, mm -hmm. that just draws in sinners and stuff. So there is a supernatural note and he just got caught up in it. And that's like the way I interpret it was that he literally sold his soul to the devil. And that's like not this personification of a devil, but to himself, you know, he, mm -hmm. he made this bargain and that's where he got all the success. That's what led him down this. But, you know, the, the entire title of the film, You Should Have Left, is not based around the house as the premise is set up. It's that he should have left his first wife. If he just would have left his first wife, he never would have witnessed her dying, felt all of that guilt, brought all of that guilt to his second wife. Like, he is the reason all of this is happening. And as soon as he realizes that, then he understands that I shouldn't have left this house. I should have left my first marriage. I should have mm -hmm. left the success that was ruining my relationship. I should have made other choices. And the choices that we make as individuals have absolute control over what then happens. And it's a sense of ownership that I really connected with with the film. And it's why mm -hmm. I didn't just throw it away because you do have to do a lot of homework with this film in order to really appreciate it, I think. And I was okay with, with <laughs> doing the homework because of the final message that I uncovered. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Do you think it, it was, do you think, do you agree with that? Because I heard you going, eh. See, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with the homework necessarily. I mean, it's definitely something that you have to pay attention to. Yeah. And you have to, like, really try to pick up everything. And it's it's one that definitely does well with a second watching. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely do want to uh, check out the interviews and stuff you were talking about because I would love to know a little bit more of the backstory of, you know, this, you know essentially the pre-production of this film. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I just, I dug it. It was, it was one that, I mean, I like this kind of shit. I, yeah. I like the, you know, questioning it the whole time. Just like, you know, the secret window, yeah. uh, stir of echo, shit like that. Like, it's just, it's fun. And I, I think that's a lot of people's problem with it is just the fact that you can't just be a, a passive audience member. Like, you actually have to be a part of the movie in order to fully pick everything up. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I do think, and my ultimate score reflects this idea, but I do think that it suffered from not, I think there, it could have set up all of the story beats a little bit better and executed the final twists better in order to fully pay it off in a mm -hmm. more satisfying way for a, a film viewer. Um, but because the core is there, I still appreciated it. So what were your favorite parts of this film? Um, I mean, aside from, of course, like the heartfelt shit with the daughter, um, and just her in general, she's an amazing fucking actor. Like that kid's great. Um, really the, um, the falling sequence, like where he's trying to get to his daughter, mm -hmm. um, and he's doing everything he can, like he's, he's running up the stairs and this, you know, this is when, you know, presumably Satan is trying to show him, Hey, this is where you fucked up. Yep. This is why you're here. You need to realize this. Um, and just like that whole time warp thing of him struggling to get up the stairs and then, you know, wipe and then he's down at the bottom mm -hmm. again. I just, I love shit like that. It's so cool. Yeah. yeah my, my favorite has to be the daughter's performance. Like that, um, I guess Avery Essex did mm -hmm. such an amazing job that if it was, 
if it was any other child actor who just, you know, they could read lines, but they couldn't necessarily give the emotional reaction, this would have been a horrible film. She sold mm-hmm. it so well in so many scenes. And like just that, that table scene that you were referencing where she just grabbed his finger for a second or put her hand on his hand, that touch is something that without it probably wouldn't have affected the film. But mm-hmm. with it, connected those two in such a powerful way and it just brought so much emotion to their connection for later payoff mm-hmm. that like it she has to be congratulated for that like she did an amazing job and when you see actors like that at that young of an age able to pull off those extremes of emotion not in a cheesy way but in an earnest way yeah I hope her parents let her act more because she's going to do some amazing stuff. <laughs> Definitely. Genuinely. Uh, what was your least favorite? Um, see, I don't really know if I necessarily have something that I didn't really like. I mean, the, the whole bathtub sequence mm-hmm. um, when he's going through her shit. I mean, it's – I thought it was stupid because I know what I would have done to go through all that shit. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, it's – I'm also not coming from the same background as him. I haven't gone through the same experiences as him. So, mm. like, I can't completely hate it, but it was also kind of like, uh, that was a little bit cheesier than it should have been. If there was no payoff later that she did actually have a second phone and that she was cheating on him, mm. without that, that scene would have, like, spoiled a lot. Like, that's just him being a douche. Yeah, yeah, straight up. Like, the whole time I was like, don't do that. Don't do that, man. Come on. Like, respect her privacy. Mm. And then a couple scenes later, it's like, okay, well, she was actually cheating on him. But his internal fears and and poor relationship background was why he suspected Mm. it. They never had to pay off that she was actually doing it. His grief and fear was all that was really needed for the story. So to pay off that she was actually cheating on him... Yeah, it got her out of the house so that, you know, it was just him and his daughter for that, that you know, hide-and-seek sequence, essentially. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't really necessary. And it actually made the connection that they had early on in that first act kind of soiled, you know? I mean, it, it didn't seem as genuine as I was well, buying into it. I I mean, I didn't really buy into it anyways. It's oh, like, really? it, no. Because you could tell that like just even from the beginning like at the pool scene like that they were two separate entities just shared you know space together and then you know when he goes on set or tries to go on set and then when they're talking afterwards and when they're fucking up on the hillside like it's just that there was i felt like there was a lot of disconnect between them but that they were both kind of trying that's interesting because i mean i i I, I was the exact opposite with with different scenes because I just saw those moments as just moments in a relationship, but I was hyper-focused on the car scene where they fucked or the scene in the bathroom where they were talking about downloading the, the seasons of the episode and watching it together. So I, and I was getting these like, Oh, this is a really great connected couple, but yeah, you're right. There were cues the whole time that they were not connected at all. And I just didn't pick up on those. So, (laughs) well, it was, it was like a lot of it was forced and a lot of it's, you know, well, why don't we do what you want to do mm. today type of you know, mentality. But I don't know. And then I, I, I don't want to, I also don't want to talk shit on that scene too, because the end of that scene, when he realizes that, Oh, she hasn't been fucking around on me. At least I can't tell from her fucking iPad yeah. and her MacBook and her iPhone, all of which she's going through the same fucking messages. I know the same account. <laughs> like, okay. So that good. I'm glad that, bugged someone else too because it's like man come on you're looking at the same fucking shit you're just looking at but on a different device what the fuck do you expect (laughs) um but that when he's apologizing that shit is so fucking funny Mm. like and it like that's when it was okay like that scene especially you know he's like oh i'm sorry you know this black cloud's been over me for a while oh you mean the ella thing yeah the ella thing totally wasn't going through your shit like a creeper mm. yeah the shit you said to the daughter that's what i was talking about <laughs> um i think my my least favorite is the I, I felt like they missed story beats that they could have hit to really pay this off mm-hmm. um 
and they just didn't because I I suspect they were already focused on collaborating in a certain way to tell a certain story and then Kevin Bacon found this novel and then brought it that they brought everything that they had collaborated on before that point and then tried to adapt the novel to that rather mm -hmm. than trying to tell the best version of a story of the novella itself. So I, I feel like there was some there's some story beat drags and stuff which lead to my ultimate score again. Um, but ultimately, I really like this film. Like, I, I can see what it could be, and it could be an absolute masterpiece. And instead, it's just a, it's just a good film. Um, mm -hmm. Again, it's, it's a psychological horror, but it's not really a horror. I wasn't really scared. There was typical Bloomhouse jump scares, mm -hmm. but that was kind of it. And so I, I'd like to think of this more as just, um, you know, a thriller. Yeah. Than a horror film. But okay, let's talk about scores. What's your final score? So I gotta say three, honestly. Um I I really enjoyed it. It was fun. It was exactly what I was hoping it would be. Yeah. Um it definitely this is one of those films, like honestly, it, with any film that's gonna go like straight thriller, like I feel it should be at least 120 minutes. Right. At the very least, because that's how you get the suspense is just that build up. And I mean, I understand why a lot of films stick with like the uh, typical 90 minute, like 70 to 90 minute time frame. But movies like this, I think, you know, like you're talking about missing some story beats. Like if they could have tacked on at least another 20 minutes, I think it could have been a completely different movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because of those story beats missing and that I had to do so much sort of ancillary work to fully grasp my understanding of it, I really just wanted to give it two, two banana stickers. And then I reflected on that daughter's performance. And I had to, just for her alone, she's worth probably a full banana, but I only gave her half a banana in this particular case. So two and a half for me. It totally um, doesn't sound weird when you say it like that. Ah! No! No, 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 no. That is not... No, no, I know. That's what I'm saying. It totally doesn't sound weird when you say it like that. Right? I'm like a fucking dirty piece of shit right now. God damn it. That's not what I meant. Um, okay. Let's move past that moment. Um, would you recommend this for people? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, like, with my first view, I was kind of with that like the two and a half but then it was then i realized that i wanted to watch it immediately again and then yeah. it's like fuck i just finished this why the hell should i want to start it immediately again so yeah no i i dig it um it's probably one that i'll buy if it comes with a bunch of special features yeah. if it doesn't eh, at least i watched it yeah it is one of those where I'm glad that I have it for a month that i can sort of sit with it for a while and then watch mm -hmm. it again in a week um but I don't think I'm going to end up buying it because I think the two really hit a home run with Stir of Echoes, and I'm very happy with that. Um, and now that I know this story, I don't I don't really need to relive it. You know, I don't think it was particularly great, but I enjoyed it, and I would I would not recommend it for the twenty dollar price tag right now. I would wait till Redbox, where you can get it for a buck and a half, or wait till it's on regular VOD rental at like six bucks. Um, yeah. I think it's definitely worth that for sure. Oh yeah. Um, Twenty bucks. You have to like these actors in order to, for me to rationalize that, you know, or or the you know director. Um, so that's it for this episode. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Yeah, we got everything. That's pretty straightforward. Yeah. Check out the movie. All right. Well, thank you all for joining us live in chat. If you appreciate what we're doing here, how about a like and subscribe and uh, sign up to the email list if you want to hear about what we're going to be talking next and we're going to be talking. Uh, this, of course, is also an audio podcast form. So go to wherever you get any of your podcasts and search Reverend Campbell and it'll come up. And uh, until next time, hail Satan, everyone. Hail Satan. You know what I was thinking about doing uh. is like running a contest for these outro moments. Yeah. Like I will send someone, I will send anyone um, a, a lapel pin, let's say, uh, a sigil of Baphomet lapel pin. If mm -hmm. they can, if they're the first that shoots me an email to info at reverendcampbell.com answering, uh, what would be a good question that could win them a lapel pin? 
Hmm. I'm going to have to pay for shipping everything, but I got a lapel pin. Yeah, I don't uh, Fuck, I don't know. All our shit's been so scattered. Yeah. Um, I, I couldn't even say what... Uh... Okay. What hmm. year was Stir of Echoes released? Oh, there you go. And we've got to do Stir of Echoes. I've, I agree. Oh That's, my gosh, I love it. As soon as I finish this movie, it's like, man, why the fuck haven't I watched that recently? <laughs> I know. It is like a once a year thing for me, and it's I feel like it's been longer than a year. I, I've got to go revisit it. It's so good. So many good scares, too. Oh, it's oh, so yeah. creepy. So much so cre- creepy. It, it, it failed because it came out alongside The Sixth Sense. I think yeah, if it had been a, a separate year, it huge. would have just murdered. Yeah. All right, so there it is. If you guys want a lapel pin, that's what you got to do. And uh, I'm 